Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm David Breer, Group CEO here at 11FS. In today's episode, we're going to be asking, how do you innovate in a highly regulated industry? A few weeks ago, I was lucky enough to sit down with Bill Winters for a wide-ranging conversation about his eight years as CEO of Standard Chartered Bank. We discuss the rise of digital channels, the challenges that come with it, as well as how to foster a culture of innovation in a heavily regulated banking space. It's a fantastic insight into the inner workings of a a bank really striving both globally and locally to differentiate the capabilities that they deliver to customers. I've been lucky enough to talk to Bill many a times, and what really always comes through for me is the the human side of really what he's trying to achieve. And, and I think that really shines through in this interview. So we'll bring you that after these quick messages. Don't go anywhere. FinTech Insider community, we need your help. The 11FS Awards returns on Wednesday, 15th of November, and we will be celebrating the people and businesses from across the globe who are helping to move the industry forward. This is where you come in. Do not miss your chance to influence who takes home an 11FS Awards trophy, whether they're trying to make the world a better place for their customers, changing the game for businesses, or utilizing AI to improve their customer experience. We want you to tell us who is building the best stuff. Submit your nominations right now at 11fsawards.com. That's 11fsawards.com. We all know SMEs are the backbone of any economy. So why are they still so underserved? 67% of them globally say fighting for survival is their top challenge. It's time for financial services to put its cape on. At 11FS Ventures, we're building, researching, strategizing, designing, and engineering game-changing propositions with banks and fintechs to better serve the SME market. We've already helped RBS better serve small business owners and sole traders by bringing metal to life. So the question is, what do you want us to help make a reality for you? Let us know at 11FS.com ventures. That's 11FS.com ventures. And welcome to FinTech Insider Spotlight. My name is David Breer. I'm the CEO at 11FS. In this show, we shine a bit of a spotlight on the best and the brightest in the industry to really get an understanding of what it is that's charted their career to get them to the level that they have done. And the period of time that they've been involved in the industry, what really has changed over that time. On today's Spotlight, we've got Bill Winters, who is the group CEO here at Standard Chartered. Um, We're going to be learning a little bit more about his career, his background, and really where he sees the industry going. So, Bill, thank you so much for joining us. It's uh, fantastic to have you on the show. We've talked a lot in the past. Uh, I feel like uh, this is really like getting a, a conversation that we've had 10 times before, but in front of a camera. So uh, so I, I know I know you know the answer to all of these questions already, which <laughs> is going to be really interesting. But uh, as we said, we're going to talk a little bit about your career. But, um, I mean, you've been CEO here for, for eight years now. I mean, you've seen the industry really change dramatically. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, look, I, I'm in the eighth year of my three-year plan, and you know, of course, things have changed quite a bit along the way. If, if you, you know, things like wars and pandemics and geopolitical tensions, but uh, the industry is continuing to change a lot. You know, I, I've been in banking with with one uh, six-year period of interruption, and when I did some uh, private credit and other things, but 
certainly post-financial crisis, the, the, the step up in, in not just the level of regulation, but the nature of regulation has been dramatic. And uh, it's had very profound consequences for how banks organize themselves and operate and how the rest of the financial system organizes itself and operates around banks uh, or uh, alongside banks or uh, in, into the face of banks. And I think that's probably going to go through another round of, of changes on, on the back of uh, the Credit Suisse demise and, and uh, the U.S. regional banks and all that. So I think we can expect a, a prolonged period of change in, in the financial system. And as we sit here at the moment, the financial system you know, feels slightly tenuous, right? which is not to say that I, I think that there's, that there's some big break that's about to happen. I, I don't. But just that the, the, the things that, that we took as, as truisms for a long time are being challenged yeah. fundamentally. And it has led to the, to the collapse of, of you know, very well-known banks. So the, the way that, that the private sector investors react to that, the way that entrepreneurial capital reacts to that, and the way that, of course, regulators react to that, I think is not yet very clear yeah. in the minds of, of each of those stakeholders. Well, and it's interesting. I mean, obviously, your role as group CEO, I mean, and for anybody uh, you know, watching this or listening to this, who doesn't know, I mean, Standard Chartered, you guys operate in lots of the, the world. Yeah. Uh, actually dealing with that, you know, regulatory yeah. sort of pressures in different climates and different geos, I mean, everybody's got a different book, right? So it's a, uh, that must be quite a, a fascinating thing to do as well. That's fascinating. It's, it's what attracted me here in the first place. Uh, you know, Standard Chartered is it's a fabulous bank. It's been around for 170 years. It's a UK bank. Uh, it was you know, commissioned under, under Royal Charter by Queen Victoria kind of to finance the empire, as it were, and to finance trade in the empire. Uh, the, originally, it was the, the Standard Bank of Africa and the Charter Bank of, of India, China, and Australia, which came together in 1969 to create Standard Charter Bank. But as we sit here today, we're operating in, uh, we're, we're involved in 120 countries around the world. We have on-the-ground presence in 55 or something like that. And uh, we're operating in both retail and wholesale markets, very much concentrated in Asia, Middle East, and Africa but obviously with the headquarters here in London and uh, a, a very large business in the U.S. clearing U.S. dollars in addition to serving U.S. clients, typically in Asia, the Middle East, and Africa. Yeah. So we're in you know, the, the world's most dynamic markets today with a good strong foothold in, in Europe and in the Americas, uh, which are obviously much more established. And it's a fascinating place to be involved with. It, it, and very local in, in, across Sub-Saharan Africa, Northern Africa, everywhere in the Middle East, everywhere in ASEAN, uh, everywhere in South Asia everywhere in East Asia, uh, you know, to be on the ground, local, and be considered a local bank mm. is a fascinating experience for me, and it gives us a real edge in a lot of ways. Of course, it gives us a lot of challenges as well. Yeah, it's uh, the, the sort of pressures of, uh, I mean, a lot of organizations try to standardize things across the, across the world in that way. But what I've always find impressive with you guys, like you say, the, the kind of local presence is, uh, you know, everybody, I've, I've been lucky enough to do things like jobs to be done frameworks in different places. How people interact with financial services in Hong Kong are really different to, you know, Morgate. So it's like yep. that learning is is an amazing thing, isn't it? I mean, it, it, it's. I think a key imperative for us is to understand the local markets in which we operate, but at the same time to do it in in a way that, that's not so customized that we lose any benefits of scale. Mm. And so, yeah, you know, we're in the process now of converging onto a single core banking system, for example. And uh, that sounds obvious. It's very hard to do. And we're about two-thirds of the way through it. We've migrated two-thirds of our markets. Uh, it will have a, a, a single mobile banking app. Uh, of course, it's going to be completely customized for the local market. There'll be different products, different language, different regulation, um, and a different franchise for standard charter. But the, the backbone has to be the same. If it's not, then in, unless you're just a huge global bank, which we're not, we're a mid-sized global bank, uh, you can't do it economically. So, yeah. 
So that, that, that challenge of remaining very local, responding to local customer needs and, and, uh, and idiosyncrasies, but having a global level of scale yeah. in, your, in your underlying infrastructure and, and controls and risk management systems and governance, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fascinating challenge. And yeah, I think we're doing okay. We're doing okay. Uh, well, you touched on regulation but, and, and technology there, but obviously the, the shift from a technological perspective over the last eight years has been pretty amazing as well. It's uh, you know, uh, uh, an amazing point to, in that cycle to see the predominant channels of engagement with your customers is, is through digital channels, That's right? right. right. Um, and even in the, you know, the most um, extreme circumstances, you know, people kind of reach for their mobile phones for, as the first port of, port of call. That's right. I mean, that, that's an interesting challenge, isn't it, in terms of uh, a brand that wants to engage with people from a local perspective. Doing that digitally is, is quite difficult. Uh, I suppose, I mean, it's as difficult as anything uh, that we have to do, but it, it's not, uh, the, the trend is so clear. Uh, the, the, the real question is how, how quickly are customers prepared to go? Uh, how quickly are customers willing to, to, to separate themselves from human interaction? in some of their banking services. And certainly when we get into you know, the mass market, uh, that will be entirely digital. Yeah. And it is for us, uh, you know, we've, we've reduced the number of branches that we have from something like 1,600 to something like 400 today. Uh, the, um, and you know, that will continue to attract. It will not go to zero, right? Uh, it definitely won't go to zero mm. because uh, even at the mass market, there's, there's tremendous value, both branding, but also customer service value. Uh, and not just to the people that haven't gone digitally native themselves, but but to others who, from time to time, want to have some interaction. Uh, when you get to the the, uh, the the more affluent end of the spectrum, where people are managing their money, they're managing their savings, they're they're perhaps taking a a, a larger mortgage. Certainly, when it comes to investing for their retirement, uh, or thinking about how they're going to manage their you know, their late in life healthcare requirements in the context of the management of their financial resources, uh, that is going to be a human business for a long time. Uh, and there will be some generative AI that can give excellent recommendations for what you should be doing with your money. Uh, but there's still, you know, I think for a long time, going to be a desire to sit like we're sitting right now, have a conversation, say, look, I'm thinking about this. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. And yeah, let me, yeah. of course, the, 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 the relationship manager or the advisor is going to be informed by technology to a greater and greater and greater degree. But I don't think we'll lose that human element for, for quite some time. So finding the, the, the way to, to, to pace that, that conversion from the, the, the pure human touch model to a, a pure digital or, 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 or digitally analytically driven model. Yeah. Uh, that's the hard part. But the, the direction of travel is perfectly clear. Yeah. Uh, and if, if you don't have a holistic set of digital capabilities, you're not going to survive in this business. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting distinction, isn't it? And actually, I guess digital has sort of shifted everybody really to more generic experiences you know everybody gets the everybody logs on everybody gets the same experience but to your point actually uh, the sort of empathy of a human is a is a critical part in being understood or or you know feeling like the organization is yeah. is kind of on your side so i mean that's going to be a fascinating journey ahead of us to kind of do that but i mean everything we're talking about is whether it's regulatory whether it's technological there's sort of innovations in the market mm. um and obviously, you know, heavily regulated industries, you know, are not usually famed for innovation in That's that right. space. But tell me a little bit about how you think about that, because um, you know you can't stand still. You've got to keep moving forward. Yeah, we do, and uh, and it, it, that, that's not straightforward at all. I mean, there, there's a lot of uh, I would say uh, external inputs into a process of running a heavily regulated bank, and you know, banks are heavily, heavily, heavily regulated. 
and I'm, I'm on the board of a drug company, a pharmaceutical company, also heavily regulated, obviously, the, the, those are matters of life and death. Mm. You don't feel the level of, of involvement from the regulatory community into the business, yep. to anywhere near the extent that you do in a bank. Wow. Um, and that, that stifles innovation, for sure. I mean, there's a lot, lot of reasons not to do anything that's different than what you did yesterday. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons to do something very different, uh, starting with the fact that there are non-banks uh, who would love to take the profitable parts of yep. our business, and they're going to be extremely innovative in terms of how they deliver that. Uh, we've obviously seen quite a bit of that, uh, most obviously in the payment space, uh, but we'll see it in wealth advice and, and, uh, and everything else that we do. The, uh, the, 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 the flip side of that is that the, 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 the culture of compliance, uh, the understanding uh, what it means to track money laundering uh, or to, to in, introduce sanctions, uh, which unfortunately are, are a feature of, of modern life. Uh, these are things that banks have become really good at. Yeah. You know, we've invested very heavily in the compliance regime. We're very good at it. And while you know, big parts of the, of the non-bank sector have been able to either escape entirely the, 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 the reviews that come from, uh, from uh, various law enforcement authorities or whatever, uh, and when they get big enough, uh, or when the criminals figure that these are exploitable channels, uh, the, the, the full wrath of, of governments come in. And um, you know, it, it's, not, it's not surprising to me that we're having a relatively good time in, in our digital asset businesses, for example. So these are innovative ventures in the sense that we, we, we incubated them in a separate lab. Uh, we brought in third party, uh, either started with third party partners or, or brought them in. and. Um, and, and, and tried as best we could to replicate, and I think quite successfully, to replicate the, the, the culture of innovation that you might find in, in a VC-funded uh, set of, of uh, ventures in digital assets. Um, and we were doing well before the, the, the crypto winter and FTX collapse and all that. Uh, but when it's become clear just how off the piste the, uh, some of the, the, the original pioneers in that industry were, uh, the attractiveness, certainly to institutional customers, but I think increasingly to retail as well, of a, of a bank-sponsored, uh, kind of by definition compliant uh, sort of business model, allows us to take what was, I think, very good innovation combined with, with, with a core pillar of our strength and turn that into to a very special business. And I, I think we'll see those sorts of things in any areas where, where, where regulation and compliance becomes very important. But there are lots of things where regulation and compliance aren't important. And how do we innovate in those areas? It's a, it's, a, it's a tricky balance. I think we've done quite well with our SD Ventures you know, subunit. Uh, it's, it's separate from the bank. Uh, we report it separately. It's separately funded, but it's still part of Standard Chartered Bank. And, and you know, whether it's creating digital banks in Hong Kong or Singapore, which, which, which you helped on, or, uh, or creating uh, a, a, an SME platform in India that is, you know, it's, it's got 800,000 customers, they're incubated separately. But with all the leverage and the benefits that come from being a, a regulated bank that understands compliance and understands regulation and also understands customers and understands credit and understands booking models and, yeah. and, uh, and transaction processing, and, and you know, we, can, we can drag and drop where appropriate parts of, of Standard Charter's infrastructure into these things, uh, but always with, uh, with the, the entrepreneurs and the innovators able to optimize around what's best for their venture, yeah. and not what's best for Standard Charter Bank in the short term. I mean, it's an interesting balance, that, isn't it? The, the sort of risk, uh, like you say, 170-year-old organization, uh, you know, you've got a lot more to lose than a six-month-old fintech in that sense. So balancing risk and innovation, we, we actually, um, uh, on the show, we actually had a, a guy called Smart Walport who the UK government brought in to, he was a chief medical officer for, for the UK government for a long okay. time to come in and advise 
on actually how you innovate without killing everybody, basically, as yeah, you say. Yeah. And, and it's a, um, a fascinating one in terms of like the risk models to go through. Um, as you say, you know, you're 170 years old, you've scaled the organization to a, you know, a great, uh, not you personally, obviously, yeah. uh, the, the organization, uh, you've scaled the organization globally. Uh, I mean, getting the, the balancing act of continually innovating, continually you know, evolving the structure, the technology, the yeah. risk, and actually culture in that. I mean, that's a that's a difficult thing, isn't it? Um, it is, but you know, you're, you're, the, the parallel you drew to the to the uh, life sciences industry is, is kind of relevant. And uh, you know, in 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 the pharma sector, a, a scientist develops uh, an idea, proof of concept, uh, and they it hasn't touched a human being. But you've got to decide you know, how, how do you construct a, a set of trials. Uh, first in a lab, you know, then in in, in, in animals or, or in a test tube or whatever, and then uh, eventually in humans. And it's a very well-established process. It's not perfect. I mean, there have been there have been bad outcomes, uh, as we know, uh, but many, many, many more good outcomes where we've ended up with life-saving drugs that yeah. have, that have you know, changed the nature of of healthcare. And uh, but it's 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 a, it's a system of of very rigorous analysis and testing and failing and learning and then retesting and failing and learning and. Obviously, trying to, to to cut off the failures before you do real damage, and uh, it's not that different in the in the innovation sphere. And I, I guess if you look in, in the way venture capital firms operate, high mortality rate, but it doesn't mean when they when they've terminated a venture uh, that they don't focus on the underlying use case any longer. They just try to find a different way to do it, either with the the, the same people or with a new group. Um, and that's the the approach that we've taken as well. So we have a, a reasonably high mortality rate. I, for example, we've had we have an intrapreneur program where anybody in the bank can can uh, come up with an idea, and at the earliest stage, uh, they it's a competitive process. Uh, we funded several ventures at the back end of this that have now you know, achieved substantial funding and and are operating businesses. Uh, we, but we had twenty five hundred submissions. Uh, and that's a big funnel yeah. that's come down to I think twelve substantially funded ventures at this point, substantially being more than several million dollars, and um, which in in this space is these are meaningful investments. Uh, the uh, so lots of mortality along yeah. the way. Some were never good ideas and never got off the ground. Interesting, but not just didn't, didn't make it. Some, you know, it looked like there was something there, and we and we played it out. And either the founders uh, lost the will to to push it forward, or we lost the will to fund it. Yeah. Um, and and some have been spun out uh, because there were there were more there were better owners of this idea, or in some cases they took the idea out, having been incubated a bit here, and then just did it themselves with our you know with our with our blessing. Yeah. So that's. Uh, it's it's not as rigorous, I can tell you, as the uh, as the clinical trial process in pharmaceutical development, but it, it's the same idea. And uh, the, the the key to me is to is to is to, to create a, a a supportive, innovative culture that that encourages people to really throw themselves at this because they're you know, committing a huge amount of their time and then our money uh, to be supportive, but also be be quite deliberate about what we're going to really going to back yeah. and what we're going to step away from. And we'll, we'll be fine-tuning that forever, I think. I, I don't think we'll ever get it right, per se. So, so Mark made the point that, um, I mean, the drug industry, nobody takes a drug for no reason. So there's a real, obviously, a massive connection between the production of a product and the problem that it's really trying to solve for people. Uh, again, I guess as a, as a global organization, understanding those problems is, is really the key to yeah. solving them, I guess. Yeah, it's... I know it's an overused term, but but uh, but really understanding the use case is and you know, what problem are you trying to solve? It, it, this this uh, well, solve is the name of our venture in India that is this SME platform, and we have a big uh, local banking you know, local corporation banking platform in India 
but we really weren't financing the micro SMEs, uh, sole proprietorships, mobile phone dealerships. Uh, that wasn't uh, that wasn't a big part of what we did, but we were close enough to it to see just how underserved that client population was. They were underserved by the big Indian banks. They were underserved by us, uh, and we thought that there was a better way to do this. So, having identified the problem, uh, we created a venture. Uh, it's called Solve, and uh, Solve has it's a B two B platform for small SMEs. At the outset, we got a couple of, of the, the suppliers into many of those SMEs. Initially, it was Samsung and Dell. Big, uh, obviously, product uh, distributors in, uh, in India. Uh, we got their dealers uh, onto the platform. And they could, get, they could get financing. These dealers could get their inventory finance. But they could also access professional services. Uh, they could access other forms of financing. Um, they could access each other. They could access their supply chain. And we've now got a thriving... SME ecosystem with large companies having come in to, to supply that ecosystem, I say 800,000 or something like that customers uh, in, in a year or in India. We'll roll that out in Vietnam now with a different partner. We'll roll that out in Kenya and Ghana. Uh, but it's not our business. Yeah. Uh, the, the business was actually in that case was identifying the problem mm. and, uh, and the opportunity and then creating a, a technology venture around it uh, with, with the appropriate understanding of, of how regulation played into that. I mean, it's, it's interesting on, on that. And, and how much has, I mean, obviously the success you've had with, with Solve, with Trust and, and Mox, I mean, how much, uh, how much momentum does that bring? Uh, you, you sort of de-risk the fear of this innovation through having been successful. Because, I mean, anybody I talk to is essentially trying to emulate the Mox, particularly the, the sort of success that you've had with that. Because, uh, you know, in a, a, a small market, in a very tough market to acquire customers, yep. you've really, you know, done an amazing job to make that happen. Yeah, no, it, it's it, it's been a great experience. And you know, when, when I reflect back on uh, on Mox, Mox is our digital bank in Hong Kong. Um, I guess we're up to five hundred and fifty thousand customers or something, which is you know, it's a meaningful proportion of the bankable population in Hong Kong. We've got both a thriving deposit and payments product, but now also a credit product, and we're, and we're layering a now wealth management product. Targeted initially the, the, the you know, younger digital native uh, users and and more mass market, but it's been an interesting uh, dispersion of the, of the client base into you know actually quite affluent people uh, who just like the convenience. But um, I think the the experience for us was uh, it, it probably it probably cost a little bit more if, if we if, well as we did that same thing in Singapore with yeah. with trust and we use we reused most of the tech stack uh, you know a fraction of the cost and a fraction of the time yeah uh, because we learned a lot of lessons. Uh, so, in, in, with the benefit of hindsight, we could have done things slightly differently with Mox, but you know this is part of the learning experience, and it's been extremely valuable for us. It also, I can tell you, it boosted the confidence of the organization that we can deliver a large. It's a large. It's a bank. It's yeah. a full-scale bank uh, that we can deliver a bank in a short period of time from scratch. You know, this is not using standard charter technology, uh, and be quite successful at it. And I think it builds the confidence in the organization that a big bank can deliver very good tech. Um, obviously, the, the, the tech itself, and as we've seen in digital banks around the world, it's relatively easy to replicate what we've built technologically. So if you don't match it with a customer proposition, and, and uh, the, you're not going to have a profitable business. You have a business, but not profitable. And I've been delighted to see that, that the, the, the customers of Mox, and now we've replicated that in Singapore with, with Trust, are extremely happy with, with the, the, the technical service that they're getting, but they're even happier with, with the, the, the underlying proposition. Yeah. Which has a lot to do with the people that we've chosen to partner with. Sure. So, in, uh, in in Trust Bank in Singapore, we we partner with the Fair Price Group, which is um, actually part of the NTUC group. Now, Fair Price is the biggest grocery store chain in Singapore, 
about 50% of Singaporeans you know, touch the fair price group one way or another every day. And uh, they also, in that group, you know, distribute some fund management products and they uh, and have an insurance company. And, um, and, and, and the overall sponsor is the Trade Union Congress, which is, is, is a, it's a powerful entity in Switzerland, in, 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 uh, in Singapore. You know, the, the partnership's been extremely powerful in, in integrating the financial services proposition into really the lives of Singaporeans the, the, the immediate mechanism is through reward points yeah. uh, and, and promotions in, 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 in the grocery stores. But, um, but it's more, as is the, the case with so many consumer-oriented uh, tech platforms, it's about becoming a part of someone's life and being, becoming a very convenient, dare I say, lovable part mm. uh, of the life. And nobody loves their bank, but sometimes people do love their bank when yeah. it's easy. And uh, if you can you know, solve a particular financial problem or challenge quickly, uh, you you do love your bank, and yeah. if it's part of an ecosystem that you also love, uh, so this is. I mean, these are fantastic lessons for us, it really, and we're trying to to replicate that, not that particular business model because it's it's any individual business model is not replicable in different markets, but just the lessons learned about what really what does convenience mean to customers, what what is trust, not to misuse the word, but what is what does it mean for a customer to, to trust their provider, uh, and. Um, yeah, where's something a cross-sell and where's something just part of the consumer's life uh, and that they expect things to be connected. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, learning tons of lessons. I think we probably have, I haven't counted lately, we probably have 40 partnerships uh, across Asia, Middle East, and Africa with telco providers, with, uh, with other e-commerce platforms. You know, we've, got a, 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 we've embedded a banking as a service model with, with new tech yeah. into uh, uh, the largest e-commerce platform in Indonesia. Super fast growing. We're about to launch with the second largest e-commerce platform in Indonesia. Uh, and, and how much is those? I mean, those partnerships because that's a that's a different model in itself, right? You know, and actually that requires a that requires a cultural shift of the organization to make those does. things happen, right? It because does. you're sort of releasing control a little bit there for, for distribution and that. Absolutely. I mean, the the uh, emotional intelligence of an organization to allow that yep. is a big step in itself. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's it's a really good point and. Uh, and as I said before, we're, we're not a huge global bank. We're a you know a, a big mid-sized bank, and uh, we don't have access to billions of individual customers. We could you know through a, a massive marketing campaign and lots of branches and 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 all that, uh, but it's not economic to to try to break into uh, some of those markets where we have in the mass market have a very low market share. Typically, with the affluent population, we've got a high market share, uh, but with the mass market, it, 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 oftentimes very low and. In India, you know, a percent. You know, in, in Indonesia, less than a percent. Uh, but uh, but we can access those customers with with a differentiated proposition through partnerships. Uh, but a partnership is it's it's a marriage, right? These aren't short term. These aren't deals yeah. that you do. These are relationships that you, you don't form. procure them, right? You can, you, <laughs> yeah, and and if you, if you base it on price or on a you know, on a, a commission sharing, yeah. it won't last. Sure. It either won't be successful if you be the customer, or it won't last. Uh, so these are relationships that need to be built and, and cultivated. And so oftentimes we'll take a, a financial stake in our partner. Uh, I, I think we're yet to have a financial, have a partner take a stake in us, but, but we'll take a stake in, in the partner and you know, maybe through a, a, at the point of an IPO or through a funding round. And, um, but much more importantly, we'll, we'll establish you know, personal relationships uh, and a broader reaching business relationship than, than the specific, whatever the specific offering is we're trying to create. And by doing that, uh, we're learning from each other, and we're learning how to get on. We learn how to resolve disputes. Uh, we learn how to uh, adjust to to changes on the ground, either relative to what we understood, or and just a change in, in the environment or situation. Um, 
and, and build trust. And that's, that I think we become very good at. Uh, you know, I don't think we had a lot of partnerships six years ago, and we have a lot of partnerships today. Yeah. Uh, and some of them came out of our SC Ventures unit. A lot of them came from, from uh, the, 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 our retail business or our corporate banking business, wholesale business, directly saying, you know, we can accelerate what we want to do uh, by giving up some control, giving up some economics, sometimes giving up complete control. And in some of the retail partnerships, we don't own the customer. Mm. The customer is owned by our partner. Um, uh, but we own the business or we're running the business. Uh, it, it does require a fundamentally different mindset. Uh, I think we've struggled with it a bit, but we've, we've had enough success that it's, it's now embraced by the organization. Mm. That if we're going to accelerate this, we're going to have to change the way we operate. Yeah. And, and we are, in fact. And, and how much of that, again, I sort of come back to culture, because actually, I mean, that's the underpinning, uh, the sort of, uh, the, the, um, uh, the removal of friction that stops those types of things happening. I mean, how much of that, and, and I, I think I know the answer to this, but I mean, how much of that starts from the top, though? Uh, and then just as a, an anecdote, lovely guy in the reception this morning said, I came in, we're like, hey, we're here to interview Bill. And he looked at me because I was had T-shirt and a jeans and a and he was like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, so was, <laughs> but, uh, but, um, but he said, Sorry about in, that. <laughs> in the a anecdote of coming upstairs, he said, you're the first person in, you're the last person out, you walk people out, you know, you, you're a human person, you're not just the CEO of the organization. H how much of the, how much of the culture starts from the top? Well, I, I think it's, it's a necessary condition that, that the, 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 you know, the, my management team, I, our board of directors, are you know carrying the culture that we want to promote? It's a necessary condition. It's definitely not sufficient. It's 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 not enough. And uh, yeah, of course, every organization has a, has a culture, yeah. and CEOs come and go. My my my, my anecdote of uh, of the guy who meets you in the reception. The first day I came into Santa Charter after I was I was announced as the incoming CEO, and the guy at the reception said, uh, "Yeah, so who are you?" His name is Peter. He's retired now. Uh, he'd been with the bank for forty years. Uh, who are you? I'm, I'm Bill Winters. Uh, yeah, why are you here? Well, I'm, I'm the new CEO. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, let me tell you, I've been here for 40 years. I think I've seen eight or nine of you guys come and go. Uh, I may see you go as well, but I, <laughs> but I, but I wish you all the luck. Anyway, Peter became a, a very good friend, and I uh, had lots of chats with him because he has a perspective. Uh, he loved the bank. Uh, he ended up working here for 46 years. Uh, and then he finally, I think at the age of 70, said, I, I, th I think I've had enough. I'm not going to see you out. Right? <laughs> but that's, so there, there is a culture. And that, he, of course, that didn't culture come from me. That culture didn't come from me. That, that was the, the culture that was there. Which, uh, it, it, the people that were here are very proud of the bank. Yeah. And it's through good times and bad, and we've had, we've had plenty of both. But um, we're also a bank, and we're also far-flung, and... The, uh, I think if I asked my colleagues uh, you know, eight years ago, what do we really need to change here? That they might have said, we need to make it an easier place to get things done. And, uh, and I'm, I'm afraid to say, if you ask my colleagues today, what do we need to change here? They'll still say, we need to make it easier to get things done. And that, um, and that would be the case if you asked my colleagues in SC Ventures, uh, where they, they, they might imagine that if they were sitting at Sequoia or something, it's much easier to get things done. I'm not sure that it is, but I don't know. I've never been there. But there is a culture of, uh, of caution. Uh, there's a culture of checks and balances, uh, controls. We could blame regulators uh, because regulators expect that kind of, of uh, obstacle course yeah. uh, for something that, that might be risky. But that's not really the regulator. It's, it's supported by the regulator, but it's our own culture. Uh, so it's, it's a real challenge. Mm. It's a real challenge. It's an interesting balance there, though, isn't it? It's, um, 
you know, I've worked at small companies where you can make things happen really quickly, but the impact of what you make happen is is relatively small. Um, you know, delivering capability that touches millions of people's lives is a, you know, they're the types of things you look back on at the end of your career rather than, um, I mean, I've, I've worked in management consultancy and I made some amazing PowerPoint presentations, but it's about the features that really touch people's lives that are really important, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, Everybody wants to move quickly. Everybody wants to be innovative and entrepreneurial and be ahead of the pack. Uh, and everybody wants to be successful. So, I mean, I, I've had met very few people where I didn't think that they that that, that we were aligned on all of that. Uh, and we have a pretty good idea what success is you know, in terms of financial outcomes, in terms of market presence, in terms of pride, and just feeling like you're doing the right thing, working for a good company. Uh, the uh, but somehow we still get in our way. And uh, so there is there's a, a cultural obstacle where. I mean, I would love to stand up in front of, you know, have a town hall meeting and say, we're going to become a super innovative culture safely and soundly. Now go do it. Right? <laughs> of course, I've said that about a thousand times. Uh, it doesn't mean that anything changes in terms sure. of the way people operate the next day. And uh, so I think having, a, having a, a consistently articulated culture from the top is a necessary condition, but it's not sufficient. Yeah, it's sort of an evolutionary thing rather than a revolutionary thing in that step, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so. and you need to change the rules. And you need to experiment with different incentive structures that, that incentivize people to behave safely and soundly and at the same time to, to take risk and, and, uh, and take decisions and be accountable for those decisions. Uh, you need to do that in a way that, that, that is appropriately respectful of, of the various matrices that we have. The, you know, we have global lines of business. We also have countries. Uh, those countries are, uh, are, are, in some cases, not even 100% owned. So a number of our African uh, countries, we own 90%, 92%. Uh, they have independent board of directors. They definitely have independent regulators uh, who expect the local entity to be able to, to override what you know some instruction that's coming from London or Singapore. Yeah. Um, and so, so you know, there, there's a there's a natural tension in the system that can really slow things down unless you find ways to work through it. Yeah. So I mean, we talked a lot about where we've come from. Maybe touch on where do you think the industry is going to go? You know, we talked about partnerships. We talked about technology change. Um, you know. Where do you think we'll be eight years from now? You know, because there's a the momentum in all of these dynamics is is really significant. Yeah, I, I think the, um, the the basic needs of customers aren't changing. Uh, you know, they, they need to transact in in financial markets uh, to for, for their daily living. Uh, they need to uh, to protect their wealth and and grow their wealth to the extent that they've got it. Uh, corporations uh, need to to have facilitation for their trade, for their sales, for their purchases. Uh, financial risks aren't going away, uh, so they, they will need to manage those risks regularly. So the the the, the challenges for customers uh, will be the same or greater. Uh, of course, things are shifting. So the the, the, the geopolitical challenges around the world, uh, trade patterns, the, the the trade behaviors, nationalism. I mean, these things are changing the way that, that corporations operate. Uh, I, our job is, is, has always been to, to connect people and to help them manage their connections in a profitable, prosperous, safe and sound way, right? And uh, that's not going to change. So the, uh, yeah, there, there are some things, regulation is a factor in our lives. There, there are some things that are very difficult for banks to do. So for example, it's been very difficult for a bank to be very active in, in the cryptocurrency world yeah. because the, the bank capital rules make that very penal to do so. Uh, my argument with the regulators, I'm quite public about it, is uh, you should be begging us to get involved in digital assets. Uh, one, because it's it's going to be an important part of the future of the financial system, and and you know if you don't want that to be outside of the banking sector, 
then, then you have to let us in. Second is uh, we can bring a perspective to you that you can't get anywhere else. Sure. Right? And how long would it have taken uh, Standard Chartered Bank or another bank to realize that FTX was a scam? 10 minutes? Yeah. Right about the time we said, can we meet your head of compliance? <laughs> that would have been the first clue. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, but, but somehow it became almost systemic in, in the global financial infrastructure, uh, despite, uh, and I will say not just despite, because it was separated from the banking system. So uh, regulation is impactful, but I think you know, regulation changes over time and, and with thoughtful engagement. We can shift that balance, and, it's, and it is shifting now. You know, hence, the, the the creation of of, of our Zodia Custody and uh, and Marcus business, which is a custodian for digital assets and a market maker and exchange and, and marketplace for digital assets, owned by a bank. Yeah, we partners. Uh, so I, I think we can we, we will continue to evolve in terms of the way that we can meet customer needs. Uh, I think uh, banks that aren't continuously evolving, uh, that aren't understanding technology that's coming, uh, will disappear yeah. over time. And banks that, that are, uh, are on top of that game don't have to be the most innovative because we have other natural advantages. We have a trust advantage. We, have a, a, we are regulated. That actually is an advantage. By the way, it's also a protection. Uh, it's a protection if you, if you need money in a rush. Uh, yeah. you know, banks, we have a lender of last resort. I hope never to use it, but, but it's there. Yeah. And, uh, and, um, and it's a huge barrier to entry for people that want to get into businesses that we do that are regulated. Uh, most people don't want to be regulated if you can avoid it. So banks will be around. Uh, banks that, that evolve and are at the cutting edge of addressing customer needs uh, will thrive. Uh, banks that don't will disappear. And uh, non-banks will find ways to skim cream all the time. And, and that's good. Uh, when they skim enough cream, they'll either need to, 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 to get into the regulated space uh, or they'll, uh, they'll start consuming banks. Yeah. And that's also fine. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting world to see how that plays out. As you say, the the blurred lines between what is financial services becomes ever blurred, doesn't it? And I guess back to that point about partnerships, it's uh, increasingly, uh, you know, who provides those services might not necessarily be the banks themselves. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's we, we, we all know understand very well the the, the power of, of a massive convenience platform and, and the power of the data that that comes off those platforms. And, uh, you know, with the, with the possible exception of, of of a couple of the big Chinese uh, e-commerce platforms, none have become you know full-throated regulated banks uh, because they have a very big incentive to avoid that that kind of regulation for the rest of their business. Yeah. But uh, but we know that that in the absence of that regulatory obstacle, they they could take over the world uh, because it, they're just so convenient. Certainly for the mass market, where there's still some need for face-to-face -face, uh, interaction or human interaction. Or, uh, or particularly customized uh, products or services, which is more the case on the, in the corporate banking side. I think that that's quite protected uh, in the, away from an e-commerce platform. But for the mass market, uh, it would all be subsumed into, into a handful of big players, uh, which I think over some period of time will, will raise uh, concentration of, of economic power questions and monopoly pricing yeah. questions. Yeah, the market always uh, settles somewhere, doesn't it? But uh, it's going to be fascinating to see. Maybe to close this out, Bill, then, I mean, uh, maybe not just from the the, uh, the guy in the front door's advice, but you, you've had a, a great career here, but uh, other organizations as well. Um, I'm sure you've been given lots of advice sort of getting into the industry and, and through your career. What's the, what's the big piece of advice that sort of sticks out for you of uh, that uh, you've tried to maybe live your life by? My favorite piece of advice uh, came from Yogi Berra, you know, the famous baseball manager in the U.S. Who, he said, uh, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. 
<laughs> really, uh, it's when you come to a fork in the road and you've got the choice between the, uh, the, the established safe path and something that feels a bit wacky, just at least three times out of five, take the wacky path. Uh, you'll either learn a really valuable lesson uh, the hard way, or you'll find yourself in a wonderful position uh, because you've got lucky. And uh, I, I've had just, you know, just a handful of, of times in my life when I, I, I was at one of those forks when I had a choice. You don't always have a choice, but sometimes you do have a choice. I had a choice to come to Standard Chartered. Um, it, wasn't the, it, it wasn't the obvious choice that a lot of people would have expected somebody who had done what I had done up to that point would have done. Uh, for me, it was perfectly obvious. You know, it, was a, it was a fantastic bank uh, that had fallen on hard times for reasons that, that could be fixed in my assessment. As, you know, as I've now spent time here, I've seen we have fixed those problems. Um, and uh, it will be one of the most rewarding episodes of my professional life. And that's, uh, but it wasn't the, it wasn't conventional. Uh, and it wasn't conventional for the bank to hire me either, just as, as an aside. I think they, there, there was an alignment there. So my, my advice would be uh, take, take, the, uh, take the wacky path from time to time. Very good. I, I like that. If you, uh, you sort of want the outcome everybody else gets, then do what everybody else does. If you want to do something different, do something different, right? It's, uh, it's a good one to live by, but uh, I'm going to go look for my wacky path, I think, after this. But uh, I, I'm guessing you found it. <laughs> probably. That's probably very true. All right. On that note, we're going to have to wrap up, though. I know we've all got uh, things to go and do, but Bill, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Uh, where can people learn a little bit more about Standard Chartered? And I mean, you're, you're pretty active on LinkedIn as well, right? Uh, yeah, I've got a LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn account. Um, I, I get a few followers from time to time. Uh, sc.com, good place to get the the uh, the big picture, uh, or you know, come visit visit us in, in one of our branches around the world, or or you know, come come work for us. Very good, very good. Thank you very much. That's all the time we have for today, though. Uh, if you want to catch up on this ep this episode, but every other episode as well, uh, head over to YouTube. You can follow Eleven FS or FinTech Insider on pretty much every social media channel at this stage. But that's all the time we've got for you today. Thank you very much. Goodbye.